1: avido the temper of sunny the warmth of fredo and the coldness of michael
2: to the legend behind la Bamba, lou diamond phillips when i walked in i didn't think i had a shot at richie because john stamos's picture was already up on the wall listen to more than a movie on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: you're listening to the tudor dixon podcast in the clay and buck podcast network
4: Welcome to the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon and I'm so glad you're here with me today. We've got a lot to talk about. You know that I've talked quite a bit about the dangers of China and my guest today has gone even so far as to include this in his latest book. So I'm really excited to dig deep into this one. Today I'm joined by David McCormick former GOP candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, and the author of the book, Superpower in Peril, A Battle Plan to Renew America. I love this because we absolutely have to have a battle plan to renew America, don't we?
5: Thanks so much for having me. And and we do need a battle plan. You know, the, uh, the premise of the book is that we're under threat. We're under threat from within, from some of the decisions we've made that have led America to be in decline. And we're uh, being threatened from abroad with uh, the techno-authoritarian model that's China. And, uh, and we don't have a plan. China has a plan. We don't have a plan. So uh, there's a lot to talk about.
4: So let me, I think this is going to shock you, but I'm not sure. I think it will, though. We both just ran for office. We both know how challenging it is. And then we both know what Democrats are doing in office. So in Michigan this week, Democrats... There was a a bill b- brought forward to say we will not welcome companies into the state of Michigan that are connected or loyal to or in their bylaws say they are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. And every single Democrat voted no, that they would not stop companies that are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party from coming into Michigan. They're clearly stating that they're loyal. I mean, isn't that? insane? Yeah, there's a lot of
5: insanity. Honestly, there's a lot of insanity. And that's just one a good example of it. Just to put it in perspective, and you know this well, but we learned during COVID how unbelievably dependent we are on China. Semiconductors, yes. 90% of the semiconductors we need to make a, our economy run, everything from pickup trucks to defense weapons, are manufactured 90 miles from mainland China. Our pharmaceuticals, I didn't know this. During COVID, we saw our entire pharmaceutical supply chain is dependent on China. So, one of the things I outline in Superpower Apparel is the is the need to strategically decouple. Those industries that are so critical to our economy and our national security, we need to bring those home or have those in the hands of our closest allies, certainly not the communist Chinese.
4: Well, I think what you're saying is something that people need to understand because We've heard a lot of America First. We've heard some candidates come out and say, day one, no one's working with China anymore. This isn't possible to immediately decouple. It has to happen over time. And it doesn't have to, America First doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be manufactured in the United States, but allied countries, going to friendly countries is so important. If you look at China and you look at, take iPhone City, for example, in China, this is an entire city that is, surra- that is just high-rise buildings. These people are living in what we would consider a dormitory. They're only allowed to go home to their families maybe once a year. And they're working sometimes 10-hour shifts with just one meal in between. I mean, this is essentially slave labor. It's not the sad thing is it's it's not easy to move out of that because there's no place in the United States or friendly countries that will say, yes, yes, we'll have high rises of 300,000 people. And that's the other thing. It's hundreds of thousands of people that are trapped working.
5: You're so right. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because um, it's easy to sort of throw away these lines on on television, but to actually understand what is required. Uh, to to really change the game with China is is what I tried to do in the book, and I, I essentially say there's four things we need to do. The first thing we need to do is that strategic decoupling, not everything, those industries that are most critical to our national security mm. and our economics. Second thing we need to do, along the lines of what you said, we need to hold China accountable for its bad behavior, the Uyghurs and the human rights abuses there, but 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 the Wuhan virus, COVID. So, uh, you know, it's it's like it was not, we were not able to talk about the fact that a, a virus that originated in Wuhan, where this research lab exists, probably was somehow connected to that research lab. And yet three three years later, we see our intelligence services acknowledging that that's a real possibility, but but the media was pushing that.
4: What does holding them accountable for that mean to you? Because that's another thing where I think people go, well, I mean, what's Joe Biden really going to do? But there is... There is stuff that he can do. So what explain the that. The most
5: important thing to start with is to call it out. I mean, believe it or not, th- that, that's not what's happened. Joe Biden hasn't called that out and made that clear. But the way that we begin to hold them accountable is to stop allowing our dependency on those key industries and also stop American companies from investing in China in ways that goes directly against our interests. So today, as we speak... There are venture capital firms in the Silicon Valley that are investing in artificial intelligence companies in China that do business with the PLA and the Communist Party. And it it, it absolutely makes no sense. So this is something that you may may disagree with. I'm not sure. So I'm not saying we should stop all trade as a practical matter. Right. We're the two biggest economies in the world. There's millions of jobs that are dependent on it. And I saw this in Pennsylvania. I bet you saw it in Michigan. So I'd go into York, Pennsylvania, and I go into a manufacturing facility. And, and the fact that China is dumping steel and globalization has hurt those workers, hurt the business, and they want fair trade. I'm with them. I agree on that. I go down the street and I'm in a machine shop. And this is where Harley-Davidson's are manufactured. And, uh, and that machine shop makes racks that go on the back of Harley-Davidson's. And the biggest market in the world they have is China. And so what I say in the book is, listen, we can talk about what the economic makeup should be five years from now. But today, the things we need to focus on are the things that are strategic and decouple them from China because China is a legitimate threat.
4: And I agree. I, so I'm a steel girl. I come from a steel foundry. My family owned a steel foundry. We actually, I would say most of the steel foundries that went on of business in the 2008, 2009 timeframe were going out of business, not only because of the recession, but also so much was being moved to China at that time. And I think that you're, going, you're not going to, there's no way to get completely out of that. But I think there are strategies you can take. For example, we used to make the MRAP vehicles, uh, parts for the MRAP vehicles for the military. That was like an 80% Buy America clause. Yep. Why isn't our military equipment 100% Buy America or allies? Yeah. I mean, really, can we go to so, that extreme so and say, military needs to be someplace safe? I, I
5: couldn't agree more. And and you know what's happened uh, along that point, Um under Joe Biden in particular, our in- defense industrial base, and we saw this with what's, what's happening with Ukraine, our defense industrial base is really, really sad and lacking. So our defense industry, the defense industry you used to support with your family steel mill is in trouble because, first of all, the actual spending on defense is going down because the mm-hmm. Biden budget doesn't even keep up with inflation, and then our defense industrial base, our manufacturing base that supports our defense industry, has become overly dependent on foreign countries, or just inadequate to deal with the, the next generation's web of, of weapons, and that's a real problem, particularly when you see China on the march around the world, as we do.
4: Yeah. So we see China here on land in Michigan. We've been having this fight over the past couple months now, where. A, communi- a, a Chinese Communist Party aligned company has come in and decided to build a battery factory in Michigan once we found out the community has kind of rallied against it so what do you say to governors like Gretchen Whitmer who has said I will align with these companies that are coming from China and she's going overseas to try to bring more overseas companies into the state of Michigan which i say again if these are allied countries or the friendly countries it's different but what do you say to governors who are bringing in companies and sh- and not only just bringing them in 715 million of our taxpayer dollars are going to bring this in. Like we're paying right. these companies that are aligned with the CCP to come in. And then they own land in the middle of our state. And, it, and you know, our greatest resource here is water, which is something everybody in the world wants. Why would we do that?
5: Well, I, I'd like to make a distinction between foreign investment and foreign investment from China, because I think what you describe is Chinese company investing in EV, which is inc- which, which is becoming incredibly strategic. Um, in uh, Michigan and having that dominance in the U.S. market and also having that dependency we have on on China is absolutely what's what's to be avoided. And so I uh, agree with you 100%. And we have to have restrictions. We should have an inbound investment CFIUS kind of restriction. CFIUS is the foreign investment review process that happens at the federal level to make sure that that doesn't happen because it's bad for uh, America. It's bad ultimately to be dependent on anybody, but really bad to be dependent on the Chinese communists. I would make a distinction between that and other foreign investment. For example, I was in Korea. I was in uh, South Carolina earlier this week, and I know they've had great success of bringing in the South Koreans, a critical ally, and, and having manufacturing facilities that have brought new jobs uh, to South Carolina. Great business opportunity has helped make South Carolina's economy really strong. It's a critical ally in South Korea. It's technology that uh, that we want to build here at home. I think that kind of inbound investment's good, Chinese-based inbound investment bad.
4: Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
3: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Okay, you just brought up jobs. So I want to ask you about that because in the state of Michigan, we have really nobody out there to work. We have businesses leaving the state because they're so desperate for workers. I don't know if Pennsylvania is in that situation, but I want to ask you, When you see states that are desperate for people to do jobs, like we need people on our farms, we need people in our hospitality industry, we need people in our manufacturing plants, we need all these people we don't have enough. We're in the midst of a total crisis at the border. Why can we not have immigration reform that would vet these people and get people that we really need in here and keep the bad guys out?
5: Yeah, it's a huge, huge issue. And I agree with what you're saying, your sentiment 100%. I'd say make two points. One, in the book, I make the point that, uh, that, that listen, I grew up thinking a four-year degree was the path to a great middle-class life and, a, and opportunity. And, that, and that's, not, that's not the case. It doesn't just have to be a four-year degree. Not every person has that four-year right. degree to have the American dream and skilled training. I go across manufacturing facilities, tech facilities in Pennsylvania, The biggest issue CEOs have in fracking, uh, which is a big industry, uh, uh, natural gas in Pennsylvania, the biggest issue they have is skilled workers. It's not that there aren't people to take jobs. There aren't people with the adequate skills. So I think GI uh, benefits like I had when I left the Army, um, Pell grants, uh, partnerships between industry and the community colleges to get these skilled workers is huge. So let's help Americans get the kind of jobs that – you had in your family mail that I learned about in Pittsburgh, where you can have a great middle-class existence, great middle-class life uh, by, by having adequate skills. That's one thing. Second thing on skilled immigration, I agree a hundred percent, but the, the first step is to, is to stop that, uh, that pouring across the border. I saw it when I ran, mm-hmm. I went down and visited the border. I know you're seeing it in Michigan. That is an absolute uh, travesty that we don't have control of our border, that the fentanyl, that's killing uh, kids in Pennsylvania and Michigan is coming across through those cartels. we got to stop the border uh, crisis. But we also, in my opinion, have to reform our skilled immigration process to make sure that we get the people coming into our country that have the skills we need. Uh, to. But fill see, the, ref-
4: the way that works right now is exactly what you just said, the skilled immigration, because we tried to bring in factory workers from Ukraine. This was years before the war. Um, but, but we knew we had factory workers there that could teach our factory workers here. And they, the only way you can bring someone in through the, the federal program who is skilled is someone who is skilled because they have a degree, yeah. but, yeah. but we, I, I mean, we, the, the, the learning on the job is, I mean, that's priceless, but they're, that's not considered skilled. Why? Yeah.
5: Well, um, I, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. And um, what, President Trump did at the end of his term, there was a proposal he put on the table for skilled immigration reform that addressed some of these issues. It was more in line with Canada's system, which has a whole range of skills, both uh, educated and and, uh, and and non-formally trained skills that we could bring workers in. And um, and the key point you have to make, I think, both substantially and politically, these don't take away American jobs. These are uh, skilled immigrants that come in and help fill jobs that are going to help American companies grow and be more prosperous for our communities. So skilled immigration reform is key. I think Trump had the right idea. He just didn't get it done in the the latter half of his administration. And that's the kind of approach we need to take hand in hand with fixing the border.
4: All right. Elections. We've got to get through elections. Obviously, you just went through a rough primary, and then your primary opponent who won ended up losing the Senate seat to someone who is not even able to be in the Senate most of the time. So I think all of us are shocked by the John Fetterman situation across the country. I mean, he's an example that people use as why people who are impaired in some way shouldn't be in office no matter what age they are. It was really shocking. But one thing that I've come out of my campaign and done a lot of research on, and I've learned from folks who are in other states doing lots of research and doing a strong, performing a strong ground game on the Republican side, They've told me that there is a difference between these states. You have messaging states, which would be like a Florida or a Texas. You have ballot states, which is a Pennsylvania. And then Michigan would be a combination of a message and a ballot state. And really, what we're not doing is that work on the ground to get to people. I mean, you don't have to have a message in Pennsylvania. If you're John Fetterman, you have no message. You're literally just going and doing the business of elections to to capture those ballots. So if you run again, how do you change the way you do things on the ground there?
5: Well, you know, there's the, there's the um, electoral reform issue, and then there's how I would campaign the related, but but different. I mean, the thing that is, was so frustrating, and I, I dealt with this in a primary is, as, as you might imagine, but uh, when, when the, the race, the day of the race, um, it looked like, I was gonna win the race. I was told I was gonna win the race. And even for the, for the 17 days that followed, I thought, I thought for most of that time that I was gonna win the race based on the numbers that I was being told. But you had 67 counties that had totally different processes uh, mm. for counting votes. Uh, you had all sorts of screwed up things where ballots were lost in Philadelphia. Uh, the count from the Secretary of State, who's a Democrat, was uh, of absentee ballots were, were inconsistent. And so I could see the frustration people have on how screwed up our systems are, and um, and one of the basic things that's missing is basic voter ID. Hard to imagine hmm. that you can show up at the polls and you don't have to show ID, but yet you can't get on an airplane without ID. It seems so obvious, and yet we haven't been able to get bo- uh, voter ID passed in Pennsylvania. That's one thing that I would uh, stand from the top of the. The, the mountain and, and scream that we need that in Pennsylvania. We need that everywhere. It seems so obvious.
4: But it's but they're winning. So you make a good point. It seems so obvious. And yet they are winning on these issues with young people. Somehow they are able to twist the message in a way that young people go, my gosh, how terrible of you to require a photo ID. How, how do Republicans bring that, take that message back.
5: Yeah. I think it's, it's got to start from the first day of the campaign is, is thinking about election day and all the, the, the work that needs to go into that. Um, and, and making the case that we want everybody to vote. We want every legal person to come in and vote. And in Pennsylvania, I don't know about the story in Michigan, but the fact that we didn't embrace absentee ballots yeah. uh, killed us. Deadly. It, it, it killed us in Pennsylvania. And, uh, You know, that narrative that Republicans are going to vote on Election Day and, you know, that that uh, that was devastating. And so we've got to do a better job. And there's initiatives underway here to really look at low propensity voters uh, and figure out how to reach them, how to encourage them to vote, how to encourage them to vote by mail and play that game. The Democrats executed uh, uh, much better than we did on that plan. And th- there's obviously all the erection, uh, election irregularities, but just on the basic mail-in ballot, uh, they per- they outperformed. So the, the the person that beat me in the primary was Mehmet Oz. He started on election day 650 700,000 votes down in the absentee ballot. You can't win elections unless you execute on that. And, and we didn't. And we need to do a better job in twenty four.
4: So what is the message going forward for Republicans? I've been watching everybody kind of pontificate on what Republicans did wrong. I mean, I have my own opinions, certainly having gone through a race and lost as well. Um, But what do you think the message is on a federal level for people? Well,
5: I think it's I think it's three things. I think um, first and foremost, we need to we need to be unified. Um, I think the, the Democrats, uh, at least in Pennsylvania, were very unified and we weren't unified. And we spend 80 percent of our time talking about the 20 percent of the things we disagree with mm-hmm. among each other. I mean, I don't agree with my wife on 80 percent of things. So we need to unify as a party around candidates that can win general elections. Winning's important, right? Winning uh, the general right. election is important, particularly in a purple state like Pennsylvania and a critical state like Michigan. We can have candidates that can win the general election. That's the first thing. The second thing, and again, this is my opinion, we need to look forward. We need to look forward, not backwards. So uh, we can right. spend all the time in the world talking about 2020, but the people I met on the campaign trail want to talk about how we're going to fix the inflation, which is killing working families, killing uh, people on fixed income, how we're going to stop this, the, the fentanyl scourge, crime in Philadelphia, the murder rates at an all time high. Those are the things we should be talking about. What we're going to do as Republicans and conservatives to fix those problems and three, we need to execute, I think, on um, on the absentee ballots. Uh, in Pennsylvania, at least, Act 77 was passed with Republican support. Those are the rules now of how uh, voting takes place. And we need to, within those rules, win the game from an execution standpoint, from a ground game standpoint. If we do that, we're going to win elections. Right now, we're not winning elections. And it's, uh, it's putting our commonwealth and the country, and because critical states like Pennsylvania and Michigan are critical to the majority in the Senate and the House, also critical to the future of the country so those three things make will make a big difference
4: how close is America to falling off the edge when it comes to being a superpower? I mean, it sounds like you think we are in great danger. I I also believe that China has been working on a hundred year plan and they're like 85 years in yeah. and we are just asleep at the wheel. We're looking at eight years ahead and we're missing the boat here. So how, how scary is it when you look at them having the biggest Navy in the world, when you look at them having this outrageous amount of, of exports and bringing in all of this money money and, and suddenly people are looking away from the U.S. dollar. How close are we?
5: Well, I think we're in crisis. I think in economic terms, $31 trillion debt, sky high inflation, national security, the challenge from China. China has a plan, technologically superior in many areas. And I think spiritually, the basic premise of, of, our, of, of our exceptional country, the idea of merit, capitalism, the, the, the fact that America is the most uniquely successful country in the world in terms of bringing people out of poverty, all those things are being challenged. And that's why 80% of Americans think we're headed in the wrong direction. It's why two thirds of parents think their kids are going to be less well off than they are. And it's why 60% of America is living paycheck to paycheck. So we're in crisis. But here's the contradiction, because I believe we are a superpower in peril. I'm optimistic. And the reason I'm optimistic is because this is the American tradition. Um, we get to the edge of the cliff and we pull ourselves back. We've uh, done this throughout history. The Civil War is a good example. In my lifetime, I'm, I think I'm a good bit older than you, but in 1979, I was 15. And under Jimmy Carter, we had sky-high inflation. Uh, we had an incredible disaster with Desert One where we tried to rescue our Iranian uh, hosti- American hostages held, held uh, in Iran. We lost eight service members, a lot like Afghanistan. Uh, We had we had uh, sky high prices for gas. There was odd days and even days. You had to go to the pump on on your odd day or even day to get your gas. Eighty percent of Americans thought the country was headed in the wrong direction, just like today. And four years later, when I was a plebe at West Point, I'm walking uh, across the campus and, and, and America's back. The economy's on fire. Inflation's in check. We're building up the military. Morning in America under Ronald Reagan. Leadership and good conservative policies
4: matter. I'm hearing you say that if you study history, then you would see we've been close to this before and there is hope. Absolutely.
5: There's hope, but it ma- it depends on what we do. Decline is a choice, but so is renewal. So if we can get the right leadership in place, um, America is incredibly resilient. I'd still rather be an American than any other person in the world. I'd still rather be in our country and have our hand for playing poker. I'd rather have our hand than any other hand. But we could really screw this up. <laughs> so. Uh,
4: so oh, I, I, no, I, I 100% agree with you on all of that. I'm, I'm so grateful to be an American. Really quick, before I let you go, I've got to have you comment on culture wars. What's your thought there?
5: I think it's a progressive ideology that's permeating our schools, our military mm-hmm. our business community. Um, I'm a veteran of the army. Uh,
4: yeah. What do you think about well, well, that? When let you me, see let me give you the trans, let me
5: give you an example of this. In under the Biden administration, the Army released its climate change strategy before it had released its war fighting strategy. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's pervasive, and the only way to fix this is with leadership. Um, we got to have the right leadership on these top of these institutions. Um, I think the progressive movement has pushed things so far that the, the pendulum is starting to swing back. I think yeah. school choice for us as conservatives, I think we're at a tipping point. I think what parents saw during COVID looking over the shoulder of their kids about the sexualization in elementary schools, about the history of America that America was conceived in sin. I think all of these things are at a place where we could actually really change the change the game uh, in a very positive way based on um based on the crisis we feel at the moment.
4: I'm with you and I I see it every day that the Folks that are against choice, school choice, are out there getting louder and they're more scared and they are they are because you see states like Arkansas, Iowa, and Florida, Oklahoma all going to a choice model. And it's working, and I think we're gonna see success. And we have to because we've never seen scores as low in reading math and history. But we can all keep fighting this fight. I'm anxious to see where your fight goes, David, and what you do next. So I won't ask you if you're running. I'll just say we're hoping that that might be in the future.
5: Well, that's mutual. I'm, I'm anxious to see what you do as well. And thank you. Uh, really admire what you've done in Michigan. And thank you for having me on.
4: Yes, absolutely. David McCormick, make sure you check out his book, Superpower in Peril, A Battle Plan to Renew America. I think that's what we all want. We're so grateful that you came on today. David, thank you. Thanks, Tudor. And thank you all for joining me on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. For this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or go to Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you join us next time
0: It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals,